you know, there was really not a, a strong handle on what assumptions are we basing our decisions on. You know, and I think that approach is so valuable to say, what are we assuming and why do we think that this is a valuable assumption or a, a valid assumption? Hey, I'm Jamie. Welcome back to another episode of the Jamie and You Show, where I shine light on the amazing things people are doing and through conversation, uncover unique insights that could inspire you or enable you to pursue your greatest ideas. Feel free to pause the conversation at any time and write down your favorite quotes, your favorite insights, and please share them with us. If you're watching this, please share them in the comment section below. And if you're listening, or the comment section isn't for you, please tweet me at Jamie and you. Let's get into it. Ryan, welcome to the show. Cool, it's great to be here. Thanks, it's Jamie. great to have you, man. Yeah. Ryan's a friend of mine, and I'm really happy to have him on the show. Ryan, how do you go from studying marketing, going into a print publishing company, and then ending up inevitably in the digital space? Let's talk it through. Cool. So... I think like a lot of people, I started off not sure what I was going to do with my, myself, with, with my life and my career particularly. And that frustrated my parents, as I think it does for a lot of parents when their kids are growing up. And parents unsure. have high expectations, man. They really do, you know. <laughs> but they want the best for you. And, and that's why they have high expectations. Yeah. So that's why, you know, it's toler it was tolerable for me. But um, they sent me off to have an aptitude test to like find out, you know, where's his interests and where's his head at really. And that's uncovered a lot, but a little at the same time. So the two parts were like marketing, working with people in the business space and building construction, like the more creative yet tactile arts. So interesting. yeah, which was really interesting. Um, I was not interested in the building side at all. So marketing was really something that appealed to me, just that like mix of business and people. And um, yeah, so from there, studied for three years, as we all do, sort of. And then, yeah, I... How did you feel about that at the time, studying marketing? So you thought you would enjoy it? Yeah. And what happened? Did you enjoy no, it? No, I did enjoy it. I mean, okay, there was cool. a variety of subjects from like, you know, finance, business, um, a lot of marketing subjects as well. And that for me was really interesting. It was all very abstract. So I struggled at the time to really see how it would play out. And even though we had case studies and things to really bring the learnings home, at the same time, it was, again, very abstract and... I think working through, you know, more practical assignments always helped, but it was very highfalutin. It was at a very high level, whereas I struggled to see how that related on the day-to-day -day operational side. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was okay because, you know, work was coming, you know, I knew I'd find out how it all kind of came together. So that wasn't, that wasn't too hard for me to digest, but um, yeah, I guess that's, yeah, that's a typical, typical thing while you're studying is you're thinking like, this is just too theoretical. Yeah. How is this actually going to work out? Exactly. Um, it's nice. It seems like you had that awareness that this will play out. Yeah. This is the theory time. To totally. Work's coming. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. And then after that, I did struggle to break into the job market. It was tough out there and I think marketing is one of those skills that a lot of people can show without necessarily having formal education well it can show an interest or aptitude towards so it was quite tough um, in Cape Town with kind of a small scene of opportunities in certain genres in certain fields um, I really struggled to break in and it was a case of who I knew rather than what I knew and um, and I think that's really the case here in Cape Town um, but you know I still had the case I still kind of was putting myself out there as much as I could, speaking to people, getting out there, 
um, you know, friends and family really pushing that avenue to see what would what would come up. And something came up at Media24 in their lifestyle magazine section and their marketing team. It was just an internship to start with, and that was fine, something that wasn't too committal. It was check it out, see how you feel. But it was a great opportunity to be, to be exposed to, to a lot, you know, from the workings of a business, like we have to make a magazine to, okay, we have to market that magazine. We have to get content, there's deadlines, which are, you know, this in a monthly cycle. So that was really interesting. And the people I worked with were great. And that's why I decided that, cool, I, if an opportunity came by, I would definitely look to, to stay, to stay at the company. And oh, to cut a long story short, an opportunity came and then I wasn't selected and I was really bleak. Oh, man. Yeah, because I was like, damn, I can see this happening. There's finally like a proper post in this and yes. there's a, like an actual opportunity. So that was exciting. But then they chose someone ahead of me for a number of reasons. Um, being in South Africa, you can think through some of those reasons. No need to go into detail, really. It's just, it's just the nature of the country we live in. But that's fine. I mean, that was cool. I found another job through a friend as a leather salesman selling leather, which is very random. No but way. Yeah, but um, great opportunity in sales to go out there, meet people, be personable, you know, listen, just find out what they're looking for and try I and sell. I hear that a lot, uh, that you should try do something in sales yes. at some point totally. because of the sk all the skills you learn. Totally, yeah. totally. So, I mean, that was super valuable and I knew it was just something to get me by, something just to get more work experience because ultimately when you break into the job market, people want work experience. They don't necessarily want to be teaching you everything from the ground up. But everyone wants work experience. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, how do you get in if you don't have and people want that? So again, it was fine. I mean, it was again through a friend who was like, oh, yeah, well, you can come. There's this post. We need someone who's kind of friendly and doesn't mind driving out to try and sell this leather. Um, it was fancy leather. So it was pretty cool stuff. Leather to make couches and stuff. Ah. And I mean, again, I think I was curious and just open. And therefore, opportunities can just be what they are. You don't necessarily need to like overthink them and agonize over is this the right thing it's mm. an opportunity it's an experience and uh, again i was working with friends so that was okay right but ultimately that wasn't what i wanted and i thought a lot it's not too long but i mean i thought about the opportunity at where i was working previously in magazines and um literally after two months of being in the sales job they called me up and said well sorry media 24 the company i was working at they called me up and said cool that person that we initially hired didn't work out and we'd love for you to join us. Wow, man. It was crazy. It was really... Did you feel good about that? I'm I sure. really did. And I know it's pretty corny, but I definitely, before, when that job was still available, I was super like law of attraction, positive thinking. I'm going to get the job. I'm going to get the job. And then I didn't. And I was like, okay, that stuff's all like not true. Load of bollocks, mm -hmm. you know? So, but ultimately I did get the job. <laughs> you know, I was like, this is crazy. What I thought and had envisioned is actually coming to life. So that was mm. was an amazing experience, really. That was just going back there and having the job that I really wanted. That's so cool. And yeah. you had that little break to go learn some sales skills and exactly. come back. Exactly. That's so so cool. that was that was cool. And but then I came back with a lot more responsibility. It's like you're not an intern. We're paying you a salary, not a big one, but we're paying you a salary. We have expectations. And that was fine because you know that responsibility is what drives you. You know, that's mm people that expectation is actually really healthy you know in certain aspects expectation can be a bad thing but um you know people needing you to deliver makes you feel valuable makes you big feel important time. yeah it's a big thing it's a it's totally. a good reason to just get into a job just so you've got that totally yeah so finding out all that adult stuff of expectation of you know really like 
bring your best to work, be positive, add value, speak speak your mind, speak up. Is something that you know you, everyone struggles through in the beginning, just to like find out how to find your voice, how to communicate your opinion in a way that people can see you think about things, and you're not just shooting from the hip and like, oh, I think this, I think that. You know, you consider it in what you say. So I think for a while it's quite reserved, and you just kind of fly on the wall in meetings. I mean, obviously I was fresh; I was I really didn't have a lot to offer at the time. But I was learning and asking questions and trying to just get a handle of exactly what I was doing. I'd Have you heard about the three-month rule? No. So there's this thing that, uh, that people say. Say, when you started a new company, yeah. wait three months until you suggest anything new, any changes that should be made. Because apparently after at least three months you would have seen that maybe things work the way they do for really good reasons that's true and that you as this fresh person coming in thinks like oh yeah i can see everything that's wrong i can just change everything but actually give it three months yeah suss it out properly get a feel for the place totally maybe understand that you might be jumping in on something that people have already thought about and have there's a good reason yes uh and then after three months yeah yeah (laughs) then unleash yeah, I think, I mean, I've experienced that in subsequent jobs where you come in fresh and bullish and you're just like, boom, this is an idea. And they, you know, whoever you propose that to is like, well, if you had this, this bit of context, you'd realize that's not a good idea. And maybe that context is always uncovered within the three months, first three months. And it's, it's more than likely that it will be. But um, ideas without context or without an, a grounded understanding of reality are can be frustrating to the listener you know Mm. to come in there too far removed you know because people are baked in realities that make things possible and if you don't have those realities at the top of your head when coming with ideas obviously that can be a limitation that can be a constraint because you know oh because of that i can't do this and then ideas don't get yeah i think you also like what you're touching on there is you could also find out about those constraints by asking. Correct. So maybe, so yeah. maybe that's kind of the thing is being maybe a bit more curious. Like, oh, hey, why, is it, why does it work like this yeah. rather than we should do it totally. like this? Yeah. Curiosity. Yeah, it's, it's, key. it's all about it. It's all about curiosity. I guess also uh, maybe a component of it is the, peop- the listeners. You said mm. something like the people receiving that. Yeah. They probably they want to be maybe given the benefit of the doubt and the respect yes. yeah. that maybe we have thought about this, man. Exactly. Like, don't, exactly. <laughs> don't exactly. come in here and think you know everything. Yes. Can you just give us some time so that we can get the benefit of the doubt exactly. here? And then in time, we will maybe be more open to listening yeah. to, to what you have to say. No, you spot on. You've, you've really hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. Cool, man. So where were From we? there, so you um, you start the the new um, the new job at yeah. Media Twenty Four. Yes, you spend some time uh, getting a feel for the place. You're not contributing yet. Yeah. Uh, you uh, you want to learn the ropes first. Yeah, uh, you, you're building up really good business uh, and uh, kind of a business sense. I'm so sure you, on yeah. the go. You're figuring out how things fit together. How long do you stay there? So in total, I was there for about three years, give or take two months either side um it went by really quickly because i was doing so much you know and after being there for two years i so there was a lot of movement in the publishing sector industry in cape town um and in the world like what do you mean by that so we all know the rise of digital and freely available digital content had a massive shift to the consumer landscape within the publishing industry Mm. you know where and how consumers were people were just digesting contents and different media types. You know, the rise of digital really was a force to be reckoned with. And you don't get a lot of video in 
magazines. In fact, you don't get any, you know. So all of that content was living online and people were figuring out, listen, I don't need to buy a magazine, which is getting expensive, you know, at like 30, 40 rand a magazine. Less convenient. Month. Yeah, well, you exactly. You go to the shop, buy it. And it's also like that sun cost fallacy of like, I'm paying for Wi-Fi or I have access to Wi-Fi. Oh. I have a phone. It's on my terms, you know, I can, it's like super, very accessible, you know, at my own, it's on demand, you know, digital's always been very much on demand when I want it. Whereas magazines as well, but if you've read the magazine, that's, that's, that's the month's content. Now you have to wait until the next month. So, you know, we were definitely witnessing the change, the shift in consumer behavior. And it was really interesting to be involved in that because a lot of execs and managers asking, why are we not selling as many magazines? You know, like, what is it about our business? And where I think they really fell down was like, what is it about consumers? You know, what need are we not fulfilling? And they tried research, they tried promos, all different things and certain things spiked, you know, people love free things. So cool, if you have a promo or a special offer, people will buy. But your margins aren't as good as that because aren't as good on that because you're now paying for the insert or the supplement mm -hmm. or the, the free item, which comes at a cost. And you're not building a loyal customer base. Exactly. They're really only there for that exactly. free thing. Exactly. So it was super interesting. And I think the most interesting about it all was really the shift from kind of printed matter to experiences. And I know experiences are thrown around, but what we found was particularly when it comes to asking advertisers what they want is they wanted to connect with readers. They wanted to get their products in the hand of, of who they were trying to sell it to, their target market. And magazines could only do so much from the printed format. But what they did have was quite a big footprint in terms of, you know, just being able to market themselves. They, in shops, they have online. I mean, they're obviously web, um, magazines had websites. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they had no digital footprint, but they were primarily driving sales of and, and deriving income from magazines. So they were always quite conservative in their investment in the website because that's not what brings in the money. The ad sales on websites was marginal comparing to the magazine, you know? So it was tricky for them to fully invest in digital. And that was, I feel ultimately their, their downfall. It's a very strong way to phrase it, but yeah. Um, but advertisers were speaking about connecting with, with their readers and that led to a lot more events being sold. Well, events being created and with advertisers, you know, how, what is aligned to your brand and your story and how can we help bring that to life? Um, and that fell to the marketing team. So that fell to myself and, you know, my colleagues. And that was cool because we're now conceptualizing how do we take a printed medium and bring what that stands for because obviously the magazine and the brand needs to also be very much aligned to what the advertisers concept might be and bring that together and make it valuable and useful and intriguing to people who are actually going to pay money to be there or, or just give up their time because ultimately as we know we're competing for time mm. more than anything you know because time is a form of of oh, how do i say it well, it's one of our most valuable resources time exactly. and money you know, time is valuable, yeah. you know, so. Exactly. So um, did you put on events? I mean, events yeah. is such a, events is so different to making a magazine. Totally. I mean, it is a completely different totally. industry. Yeah. Uh, from my perspective. No, so no, how, you spot on. How, yeah. do you, how do you take a group of people that are making magazines together and make them run events together? The, oh, you hit it spot on because it's not, it's not their native 
way of doing business, of connecting with their audience. But you learn on the fly, you know, and big businesses are doing this too. You know, we always think of startups as the ones being, you know, agile and thinking on their feet and trying new things. But big businesses have to do it and they have been doing it. And maybe they don't do it as quickly because of bureaucratic processes, but they have to try new things and they are and they will continue to. And usually it was working with third party event planners. So we would bring right. Yeah. The you contract someone to correct. We'd bring the advertisers brief to to the the contracted party and they would help bring it alive. And you know, I would be there managing the magazine's interest and as well as the advertiser's interest too, because they came to us to Mm. you representing them. Correct. Exactly. So the advertisers didn't necessarily want to be managing the event by no means. They wanted to be there to make sure everything was running above board. But ultimately, you know, they came to us to connect with our readers. So we needed to bring that alive and make that possible. So, and that was super interesting because those events would also sell for, they would bring in some decent revenue for, for the magazine companies. So it was interesting. And that was like the early days of thinking about the consumer journey. You know, how do we get people to go to an event? We have a magazine, so we advertise it there. We have a website, so advertise it there. How do we make it frictionless from someone seeing an advert to actually applying to be part of an event and, and managing that process from like collecting entries, contacting people. And what was nice is we weren't a big team. So I would literally be part of the briefing of the, the advert to say, hey, we're having an event. This is how you enter. This is how you participate. This is what you can expect to receiving the entries, getting in contact with the people who had, you know, said that they're keen to be a part of it and just managing that process because, you know, how much is too much information? How much is too little? What are people really interested in? It's like, you know, you'd like to think along the lines of, I told you three things, would that be enough for me to convert you into an action? And if so, what are those three things? What are those two things? What is that one thing you want to hear? Will I be safe? Will it be convenient? Will it be fun? Will it make me cool? Like, what exactly are those things and just that kind of drives the simplicity or the difficulty of the user journey so from an early day and we'll get to this later from an early day i was exposed to that user experience type thinking but in a very different way you know it was from a which which is still is now but from a um, more physical experience of like a magazine which sends you to an online web form which then leads to telephone conversation or a payment of some sort and then ultimately you've got to then communicate again and say this is the event you've now joining here is the itinerary whatever however that's delivered by email not not really post but um you know so that was the early days of just thinking about the user journey yeah it sounds like that typical scenario where you you've identified all the different touch points and all those different steps that you need to get them through exactly and then how do i get them from here to the next step and then once i've got them there how do i get them from here to the next step yeah and i think in the digital world it's all digital correct so it's how do you get them to learn more about the product how do you get them to decide to buy it correct then how do you actually get them to part with their money and pay it and then how do you get etc and that all happens in the digital space but with yours you jumping them through different channels and different hoops exactly Uh, and i'm sure there were maybe extra challenges oh yeah i'm sure so you've broken it down really nicely into all the different touch points and steps and that, oh, what was the buzzword? It was like omni-channel planning, Yeah. you know, so which is a real thing. And, you know, a lot of businesses, that's their focus. How do you take people from an advert, whether digital, physical, into your store 
once in the store, what is the experience? Once they leave the store, what is their next real world touch point again? Is it an advert again? Is it back onto your app, onto your websites? Is it talking to their friends about your service quality or lack of service quality? And where does that lead them to next? So, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. If you're doing it cleverly, someone speaking to their friend about it, and then they are able to say something yeah. that then allows the friend to go do the thing really easily. Exactly. I mean, that, I mean, that would be the ultimate, right? Exactly. Like telling someone about it and then it's kicking off another customer journey. Exactly. You know, that's the best form of acquisition is word of mouth. Mm. You know, and that's why it's just so important to deliver on your brand promise and deliver a valuable experience because people talk about those things but they talk more about unfulfilling and disappointing. People love complaining. Exactly. So, <laughs> but they also do, because we complain so much, we also like to compliment when we have a good experience. Yeah. You know, That's actually right, man. I think, yeah, we like complaining. And then as a result, we've got quite a low bar. Like the things are just going wrong all the time. And then when someone goes and exceeds our expectations, exactly. we talk. Exactly. We yeah. exactly, exactly. So yeah, it was a great training ground for me just working in magazines at that time of flux, um, a lot of change, people trying to understand where, what is valuable, where are customers spending their time, where they're spending their money, which was really something that we tried hard to understand. And yeah, again, making it a, a useful and interesting and yeah, uh, valuable experience. Exactly, you know, and, and like, what is value? It's, it's, oh, it's tough. It's a really tough one to define because for every person and their background and their frame of reference, it is so different. So, and then we group people and just make shotgun decisions based on minimal information or not a lot of information. In other words, based on assumptions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was really not a, a strong handle on what assumptions are we basing our decisions on? You know, and I think that approach is so valuable to say, what are we assuming and why do we think that this is a valuable assumption or a, a valid assumption? And, um, yeah, moving off from there. Do you think people at the time, the people you're working with, do you feel like that wasn't getting spoken about enough? It just wasn't a way of thinking. It's oh, like, okay. you were thinking about what are the breakpoints or sensitive areas? Like, where can we lose people? You know, you're, you're thinking very much focused on the con conversion journey. You know, that's sales funnel. Because yeah, that was- uh, How do you reduce drop off? Exactly, yeah. you know, and that's- How like, do you make sure that as many people are coming in at the beginning, you can get the most out at the end exactly buying your thing yeah. exactly and why are they dropping off at different stages just looking at that but it's all based on assumption <laughs> unless you're interviewing people and saying cool we saw you got to the third level which is submitting a a lead or a form why did you never follow through with payments you know like that lack of getting direct primary feedback was something that was never really done i heard something really interesting recently about collecting feedback in yeah. this way funnel funnel feedback essentially it was about i think they broke they broke down the people going through a funnel into three categories okay. that they feel could be applied to to any business so these yeah. were broad categories that were you know agnostic of the type of business gotcha so there were the the three types were there was someone coming into a funnel mm -hmm. that is just browsing they're just checking stuff out they were never going to there was no chance they were going to buy your thing. Yeah. They were never they were never going to buy it. They sure. weren't your customer. They were just coming in to see what was going on. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the people who are coming into the funnel and are 
just get out their way. They are going to buy this thing. Yeah. You don't and have to convince them. They know what they want. Exactly. They, they yeah. recognize it in your product and they're just going to buy it. Yeah. Like get out their way, make sure they buy it. Totally. And then the third one, the last one is, is the one in the middle, yeah. which, is, mm-hmm. which is the person who is interested but maybe has some reservations, some fears around it, isn't quite sure if this is for them. Yeah. They don't know if they can trust you. Maybe, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why they might not convert yes. those middle people. And the the advice I heard in this regard was around speak to, try identify those middle people mm-hmm. uh, so that you can speak to them because they'll have the, the, the ones who were never interested, don't try to understand them. They didn't want your product. The ones who were super interested, you don't need to learn anything from them because they're going to convert anywhere. Yeah. Try learn about these middle people, For what's sure. going on with them. And focus on the ones that do convert. Mm-hmm. So the ones that do pay, yeah. find out who was unsure, um, perhaps you know, with um, a survey or you know, some means like that. Mm-hmm. Send them a survey and try work out who the ones are that were a bit unsure but ended up converting anyway. Yes. Yeah. And then you find out what could have made it faster or easier or what or what was preventing you from actually making the decision but then going ahead with it. Totally. Uh, I thought that was a really cool piece of advice for the for who to for focus sure. on when you're trying to collect this feedback. For sure. And nowadays we have tools, we have data that says these are the people who fell off. You know, maybe you have you collected contact details, so they are there to be engaged with. You know, if you aren't collecting their contact details, you can't speak to them directly but maybe through their digital journey you can track what they did you know if they looked at three products and they're not they didn't buy one or they looked at one product and they got to the checkout gate and then they fell off you know you can sort of analyze a bit of their behavior and that can still tell a story in itself there's definitely some insight there for sure you might not be able to get the crux of why they fell out so yeah i mean that's it's it's good stuff cool man so you guys are running events yeah do things start popping at that point does this now become an events company what happens so i worked across three different magazines and they each had their own type of events very much aligned to what the magazine was about so one was a car magazine one was a golf magazine i think i'm going to do names just for (laughs) self-incrimination here um and yeah so it was actually two cars one golf magazine and then i worked on the others i mean i was there at the days when sports illustrated south africa was still around oh, what fha a, what an amazing yeah sports illustrated was such, such a, a good classic. magazine yeah so and it was sad because i was part of the end of that era you know i re- remember watching a boardroom full out fill up with all their their writers all their employees and them getting retrenched i literally saw that happening and i saw the same thing for fhm magazine it was just like that's so intense yeah like i was literally seeing the demise and happening in front of me and things go on in your head like well what's up am i next and that's when i started to just think a bit further ahead like print is struggling um and i don't feel secure in my job if i'm seeing other people being retrenched left right and center but i mean back to the the events so the events were very much around the nature of the magazine and the nature of the the advertiser and we did some cool things, you know, we organized a lot of them very much ourselves with the help of third parties. And we did a lot of things wrong and a lot of things right, but you learn more from the things you did wrong. And um, it was really interesting just trying to also understand the advertisers and what they were after and what's important to them, because ultimately they are making this all possible. So what are they expecting in return? 
And then how do you take that need, our need as a, as a magazine, and ultimately the user need or the consumer need and bring that all together and make everyone happy along the way. You have to balance all of those pieces. So that it happens again. So yes. that people want to join so that advertisers would like to do it again. So that was super interesting. And um, yeah, oh man, it was it was quite, an, it was cool because I got out of the office a lot. Um, but you end up picking up pieces afterwards as well, things that you could have done better and um, things that fell through, people disappointed with their customers or you can't make everyone happy. You've got to really, that's why it's about focus. You know, you got to really know who you're trying to make happy. And if it's only the advertisers, then fine, do that. Focus your attention there. If it's only your customers, then do that and realize that maybe you, the people paying to make this possible will be frustrated. But if you can prove value in a different way and say why that was the focus, then they will come around. So it was it was great experience just really sure. yeah working with so many different touch points so many different needs and demands and expectations it was really interesting so so then the company what ends up happening they, oh they're man, letting go they're <laughs> letting go these teams these magazine teams um the events maybe is bringing in a bit of extra money but things are changing in the company yeah where, where do you end up so i mean I was also quite practical in understanding why they were closing down the magazines. And I was talking to people, you know, I wasn't just watching this happen and not get, not get answers. You know, I had questions like, why is this happening? You know, and, and what does it mean for me? So the questions were very much driven from my own self-interest of like, what should I be doing? What skills should I be acquiring to make myself invaluable? You know, like if we close down all the magazines, what skills would I need to have to still work it, to still have a job? And, um, that ultimately just led to upskilling in the digital space, you know, digital advertising and marketing because advertisers were saying, cool, well, if you don't have a lot of readers, how big is your digital audience? Because ultimately we want to connect with people. We want to market, we want to advertise and we need a big audience. Mm -hmm. And they were asking a lot about the digital audience and what opportunities lay on digital platforms because the magazines that I worked for, they definitely had, they had brand recognition. They had clout, but just not in a, print sales circulation realm anymore you know that heyday was over and fast declining you know it's crazy like i mean i can't even see the graph clearly in my mind but you know within a year like half of the sales were just disappearing you know like it was bad and the overheads don't change you're still print printing yeah. a lot of magazines you're still delivering you still got staff to pay you know so. because those decisions have been made six 12 months ago like this is how many magazines we're wanting to print let's keep up yeah. with the demand totally. and then when numbers start dropping on the demand side your supply chain and that that train is still moving yeah you're still making stuff because totally. your expectations are that the demand will continue yeah and of course you know to some extent everyone should be doing some level of forecasting and trying yeah, to understand sure. the market ahead yeah uh, but uh, i mean it's things can change quickly totally and i think they couldn't halt the decline in sales the decline in revenue decline in circulation they just they had moments of of happiness and like we know what we're doing and we can turn this around but overall on average it was just like we are bleeding month in month out so yeah i sat in some tough tough management meetings where you know hard decisions were being made and um Towards the end, I definitely started to voice my opinion and say how things could be turned around. There was a particular golfing event and I had no passion in golfing, you know, in golf as a sport. So yeah, that event they wanted to can. And I said, well, listen, I can turn this around. I can, we can make X amount of money 
And the general manager looked at me and he said, how are we going to do that? So I said, well, let's look at what we're, what we're offering here. It's a golf experience and they get a whole bunch of paraphernalia. They get a t-shirt, they get a cap, whatnot. And I've been there, I've been at these events and they don't care for the golf shirt and the golf cap because they get that at every golf day they go to. And that's costing us 200 rand a pop. Mm-hmm. If we have X amount of days, we have X amount of people attending, that's 200,000 rand in golf shirts and caps. Let's keep the price the same because they, they, the, they want the golfing experience. They don't really come for the, the cap and T-shirts. And he was like, this sounds like a good idea, Ryan. Make it happen. I made it happen. We made <laughs> the cash. And um, yeah, that felt amazing to actually bring something to life, have an idea. Congratulations, just, man. That's so cool. Yeah. And that was being on the ground. You know, management are not on the ground always. And they need foot soldiers feeding that information back, saying, I've been there. I've understood the need. I'm close enough to the business to have an influence to say, take away the cap and shirt and save that money and just add it to the bottom line because the value from the golf day is more than the cap and the shirt. Therefore, they might complain, but they won't miss it. They will still be there. And um, that also was a really messy thing in itself because I was promised a commission based on that. And um, I literally got retrenched when they were meant to pay out that commission. And I got retrenched doing like one of the last golf days no. where the money had already been accounted for. It was just such a messy ending. I was like, I can't believe I'm literally fighting with the corporate. I had the HR person saying, call Ryan, take the package and walk away. I was like, I'm not because you owe me commission on an idea that I had. And the people involved had been, who had approved the, the whole incentive structure, the commission had, had left. And I didn't have anything no. in writing. I was an amateur. I didn't have anything in writing. Yeah. It was a verbal agreement. And yeah. that person, had he been there and made that agreement, he would have fulfilled it without hesitation, no doubt. But he wasn't there. And I phoned him. I said, this is what's going down. He said, well, we never got it in writing. And even if we did, you're dealing with people who are in a, in a pickle. You know, you're a small fry. So. I was thinking that as well. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when you're losing, when you're, when you're retrenching people, I mean, that's at the point it's at. Yeah this extra money to pay this commission you're going to pay who's shouting the loudest totally. and yeah the bigger people are going to get paid totally and i went to go see lawyers and actually wow, yeah. yeah and they were like well what do you have in writing and i was like oh this is such an amateur error not to have agreements in black and white signed you know so. it's awkward though it if it's your job no i'm not saying in all cases i mean yeah. getting things in writing I mean, it sounds like that's, this is a lesson you're now holding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the paper trail life is real. Like yes. everything should have, have a paper trail. So what I was saying with the awkwardness is that it's your full-time employer. Yeah. Imagine for every little thing that's mentioned, yeah. you say, can you please just, just write that down, please? Oh man, you can't do that. I mean, maybe email. I think I've heard that. Yeah, no, Apparently for sure. email is a good way to do oh, it. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so someone says, uh, yeah, someone agrees to something and maybe you email them to say, uh, here's what we agreed on. Can you just confirm that yeah. this is what we agreed on. Exactly. I think that's a way to do it. That's I mean, what certainly Don't take that on face value, check with a lawyer, but I think there yeah. are ways to do it. Like just yeah. try and get it somewhere in writing. Yeah, but words are words are easily spoken. You so know, you've got to take it to the next level of just making it formal, just making it transparent. You know, like if it's written out, if it's on an email, if it's on a document of some sort, that everyone can see that and reference that. But referencing conversations is always the he, sh- he said, she said, you know, mm-hmm. or he said, he it, said. You it'll know, it's always just, be, yeah. You know, so, and people also can't remember what they said. Like, literally, that's a fact. Like, we have so many conversations a day. Um, 
and if which you probably makes the he said he said she said uh, it probably makes that situation really difficult for lawyers and yeah. and, and um, judges whoever's looking at the case. Uh, it must be really difficult for them because they're also thinking we should we should be able to go on people's word because yeah. I think I think words are legally binding to some extent. Yeah. We should be able to go on it. But what if these people are not remembering it correctly? It must be well, tough well to make a decision. There, you know, and also well. decisions are made at the top or f- far beyond where the initial decision was being made. You know, mm. so what I mean by that in my case was the person that had made the agreement with he was no longer there, but the decision to retrench me came from above him. So you know he was one removed. But yeah, it was a great learning. Three years, you know, I really learned a lot about a lot of different things. And I saw the writing on the wall. You know, I saw that things were going digital. And that's when I decided it's it's time to get into the digital space properly. You know, so, I mean, I was retrenched. And for a couple of, well, I was actually a couple of months, two months, I was unemployed. And um, that was hard for me because I consider myself quite ambitious. And now it's like, well, I don't have much to to drive that ambition, you know, so... I was bombing again, which is cool because I just love working with people and it's nice to be really close to the people that you're selling to and the people you're engaging with and just... You went back to the bar. Went back to the bar. So, And that was cool because I'd actually been working as a barman while working at the publishing company because my brother ran a food and goods market. He needed a bar manager. It was at 5 to 7 on a, on a Friday. Sorry, 5 to 11 on a Friday. So after work, I'd mm-hmm. jump in my car and go through there and... Um, that was cool. I mean, I really, really enjoyed that. So it just felt natural. Cool. What do I know? What could I quickly get access to as another, as a, just a stopgap? And that was going back as a barman. And that was fun. And yeah, I mean, while I was actually still at Mini24, I did a online course on digital marketing, which was super interesting. And I'd known some of the stuff having needed to be proactive in that space, working in magazines, because obviously all the traffic was going online and how do you engage an online audience? I had to learn those skills pretty quickly. But you started taking it a bit more seriously. Yeah, because I knew, cool, I'm going to be applying for a job in the digital space. I wasn't sure what that would be. So yeah, I reread the textbook to the online course that I'd done nice. and um, just started grounding myself in literature of, of what the digital realm really meant, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, two months went by and I applied for jobs and nothing really came up. And then eventually something did come up and had two interviews at a digital marketing agency Awesome. and um, got in there and it was super chuffed. I was like, oh, this is my big breakthrough. I'm right where I want to be. Damn, that was hard. That was, that was really. So you're still in marketing, which is cool. Exactly. You're still still doing what you had studied. Yeah. You understand the landscape of marketing in general. Totally. You've done a lot of customer journey stuff back at your old company. Uh, And now you've equip yourself with these digital skills. Yeah. And then you get into a digital marketing company. Totally. Yeah. So I had to acquire the more technical skills because digital is technical. It's actually really technical. It really is, you know, so, and you won't necessarily engage on that level yourself, depending on what role you have, but you have to understand it. Exactly. Man. Exactly. That's you, what I was going at. I think from my understanding of digital marketing is you have all these different ways you can do it and you need to move those levers in the yeah. way that's going to be best for the results you're trying to get. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. And that was the role I went into in that space. You know, I was an account manager, which was a very much transferable skill from publishing because you know i was working with customers advertisers working with the business to realize what the client's goals were and that's what i needed to do in the new in the new job 
except I lacked the skills within a tech um, in a digital business, like a, a natively, you know, a ground up digital business. And um, damn, it moved at a pace that I just couldn't handle in the beginning. And having to learn and do at the same time, it really took its toll on me. And I was putting in crazy hours because I wanted to be good. I didn't want to be just there. I wanted to be really good at what I was doing. So I had to learn a lot. And the pressure didn't change. You know, I didn't, they took me on because I had skills that I inherently learned within the industry. But the finer detail of writing a brief for a digital campaign, I knew very little about and I got blown out of the water honestly like I really you know advertising is intense the industry is not all mad men parties and cocaine it, it really from my experience it was hard slug the money was not as abundant as it was previously clients were looking for that return on investment and if you couldn't prove it and the actual biggest thing I witnessed was the lack of trust. You know, clients didn't, you would say, this is what we propose. This is the campaign concept. And they'd be like, well, why is it going to work? You know, like. They never asked that before, don't you think? Yeah, like well, with billboards. Uh, it wasn't like, we want a billboard. Yeah. And like, oh, do you, I don't know, can you calculate the return on investment? Yeah, you can. There's, there's you can? Well, hypothetically. Okay. If X amount of people drive past, drive on that road, they're driving past your billboard there is a statistical chance that 10% are going to see it. So 50,000 people are driving past that billboard a day, 10% see it. This is how much you pay. This is how many people see it. This is return on investment. I mean, that's just a very loose way of describing that. But It uh, makes sense though. So then in the digital space, th it's a lot more granular that it, you can get it into is. the detail. It is. Yeah. It is. So, you know, just tracking campaigns and showing here's the return on investment was, was, was easier. Definitely, because that can all be tracked if you've set up your traffic, your tracking. Yes. And, and, you know, as an account manager, that would like usually be my responsibility. And damn, many times you just didn't brief that into to the data guys to set that up. And then you have to explain to the client why that isn't the case. It was just so hard and That's fast. Tough. And there were a lot of, you know, and everyone was busy. So I need a lot of training and everyone had a lot to do. So they couldn't really spare the time. So, well, that's what I was going to say. What was the support like? Because you, because it, from um, from what we've heard here is, is you know your curiosity, wanting to ask questions, wanting to yeah. learn, being ambitious. I'm sure you maybe would have reached out to yeah. say who can help. So what was the support like? Well, I, I didn't want to do that too much in the beginning because then they realized, damn, this guy doesn't know a lot. Right. So yeah, I didn't want to expose myself, and right. that was the, f the worst thing I could possibly do because then I made mistakes very blatantly. So it wasn't a good thing that you try to keep no, it together never, yourself. No, never, never. You got to be upfront. And now I'm very open and honest with my my weaknesses, probably more so than my strengths. Ugh, I don't know, up until a point. Mm. But um, you know, I always want to play to my strengths. So if I if I know what my weaknesses are, I know what to avoid. I know what to say I'm not good at. Get someone who is good at to do that, and I'll work with them to complement them with my skill set. You know, that was. But um, yeah, that's two and a half, almost three years in digital advertising was one hell of a learning curve. Um. And you know, clients, yeah, uh, just all that stuff. Yeah, managing expectations from clients and also managing the business side. Well, like getting a brief through the creative system and managing the personalities that make it possible because there's a lot of egos in advertising because there's a lot of smart people and there's a lot of tired people and angry people. <laughs> so um, that was really interesting. And man, I worked with some smart people, but they had high expectations, you know, of the people they were working with as they have had on themselves. And um, my creative director, she really 
she like almost literally almost broke me it's like a person because she was just so demanding and it was never good enough and at just the half year party she actually sat next to me and we had a chat and i was had a few drinks and i was just like damn now nah, i'm just gonna be honest with her and i said sarah why why are you like that why are you breaking me down why why is it never good enough even if it's good enough for clients it's not good enough for you and she said ryan i want you to be the best and i was like wow like okay so she meant well but her delivery and the pressure she was under the business was under made it really hard for for her to deliver that in a very compassionate way and i was making mistakes putting her under more pressure so so i've heard it i've heard about this theory yeah and i've spoken spoken about it with a few friends this theory where we we as a society are better for these people like this person who yes. pushed you so hard yes we better we better for them because they if they didn't exist they wouldn't push us hard enough to exceed what we believe that we could achieve totally uh, and then we wouldn't be achieving as a society as much yeah so but they're frustrating people oh, man they're such frustrating yeah. people but we need we need to be grateful for them how totally. weird how weird is that to think like yeah. as much as i despise the way you're treating me right now i'm so grateful that you're treating me this way because yeah. you're making me stronger yeah. and we're getting more things done it's like um classic steve jobs yeah. i think that's that's yeah. what people say about him is totally. he people hated him but he his persistence and insistence on things being his way yeah created things better things were created better because of it yeah. so totally. it's this weird relationship we need to have with these people totally. but uh, i mean uh, the deeper the deeper reason behind why they are doing it you know they say okay well i want you to be better uh i want you know i'm trying to push you like maybe there are other ways to do it i'm not sure totally. i'm not sure those individuals are doing it in that calculated way yeah. i don't think they're going hmm i'm going to be one of those people that pushes people to get the best because society needs this. I don't think, I no, think there's other reasons ways. they're doing it. Totally. I don't know exactly w what they are. Yeah. Um, but I think if we just look at it from like the top down, they're useful people. They are. And I fundamentally believe that other people always drive you further than you would drive yourself. You know, the human condition is such that when you reach a certain level of resistance, you give up. And at some points it's easier to give up than others in life. But other people are always able to drive you further due to their expectations. I mean, they either lead with the carrots of the incentive or the stick of the punishment of the of the failure. And um, I'm really grateful for the two. Okay, it was about two years of pain, and then kind of eight ten months of okay, cool. I know what I'm doing. I can add value. I can be confident in my opinion. I've learned enough to know that I'm adding value in what I'm doing. And that was because of people like the creative director who just really, but her, her delivery was at a tough time for me when I'd just been retrenched and stuff. So I took it very personally, right? you know, so, and that's when I had to dig deep in myself and just be like, just, you know, it was hard. It was hard. You just struck, you struck on something big there, man. Yeah. It's not personal. Yeah. It very rarely is personal. Uh, it's not specific to you. It's more specific to the other person. Well, just also the situation, you know, like As well. in the situation, if you make a mistake, it puts me under pressure and I'm already under pressure. So I'm frustrated at you for making that mistake. And I want you to be better so that we can work together in a, in a better fashion. 
um for everyone's sake yeah exactly like let's just help the wheel go around smoother and um but it's also that thing of like it's not personal it's like well if it's about me how can you say it's not personal you know it's like uh, i don't understand you know so well, it's not where it's where it's not personal is it's uh, it's not who you are it's what you've done yeah and i was actually quite able to understand that so when i was still making mistakes i was like cool i deserve this feedback i made this mistake i forgot to brief in traffic tracking that's that's fine like i get it now i'm going to be better for it and actually becoming quite stoic about it you know like i acknowledge the mistakes that i've made and i dedicate myself to be better you know like that was cool and in the end people started being frustrated when there was a mistake and i'd put up my hand and be like i made it you know like do what you must and uh, i made bad mistakes i was issued a warning people wanted to see me out the door and when I was issued that warning, because that was pretty big for me too, um, the guy who gave it to me, he said, listen, Ryan, this is an opportunity for you. You know, you can either let this break you down or you can take it and, and prove everyone wrong and just push further and turn it around. He said, like, it's your choice and I believe in you to actually be able to turn around and show the value that you're able to offer because there are people here who believe in you and there's people here that are just frustrated with all the mistakes you've made. And I took on that challenge. I really did. And I put in longer hours and I read more and I asked more questions. And I was upfront with myself and with the people around me. And everyone could see that. And at the end of that year, uh, I actually got a letter from my creative director who, who was kind of the one who also pushed for, for that written warning. And she said, Ryan, I'm so proud of you. Like, your your tenacity is your biggest strength the grit that you have shown i'm i'm so proud of you and i was like whoa like just turning that whole situation around because it was quite a dark time you know i came in as a as a mid but my aptitude and my my skill level was that of a junior and it was fast paced and i was i was nowhere in the beginning i really you know the skills i'd come from quite a set process of magazine production and events made things busier but it was never crazy like advertising where digital is instant clients think it's instant they're like oh just put it on the internet <laughs> just put the post on facebook you know and it's always on so if there's a mistake they phone you at eight o'clock at night 12 or whatever and be like there's a spelling error on this post and it's embarrassing for my brand ryan you know remove that so i was facing a lot of pressure from clients and a lot of pressure from the business to deliver those results but it was just such a grueling time that made me so strong so resilient and learn i learned so much and it's not good to learn under those conditions i mean i was learning it's not under, ideal yeah i mean it, it was just the thing is you can't you can't get pushed that i mean you can't learn as much as you did without getting pushed as hard as you did oh, exactly you know so yeah. the time i put in it was exponential like i really it was two years i probably learned as much as four years i'd like to think you know so and a lot of those people now, even the clients, for better or for worse, a lot of them would, I believe, would, would want to work with me again, you know. And that that means that in the end, kind of, everything worked out. It was tough, but um, amazing, man. I'm, I'm super glad that the that warning, uh, and then with the message that accompanied the warning, yeah, you know, for that, sure. that encouraging message, that then set you on a better path. Totally. And I think I think what that warning. Uh, would have said is it was just a signal for everyone of the seriousness of what was going on it's like totally we t everyone's just taking this very seriously you yes. know this is performance is important totally. to everyone here yeah and you took that as a positive totally. you didn't see it as a 
we want you out. It was yeah. a we want you to perform better, and yeah. we think you can. Yeah. And you put your head down and yeah, I mean, did what you had to do essentially. It's going to be challenges in life, and I always love to challenge myself to rise to that challenge. And it's driven by like self interest in that I don't want to be the guy who flaked out. I don't want to be the guy that was always remembered for making mistakes. So like I think the ego really drove me because it just. And I'm being like completely honest here, you know, yeah. like I just didn't want to be the guy who sucked at what he did, who was remembered as being an idiot or whatever. So that ego just pushed me to work really hard and found the reserves, the tenacity that I, I wouldn't have known and found otherwise, you know. So and now that is like a pillar of who I am and I'll forever hold on to it, the good times and the bad. So it's just giving me a whole new perspective. And, uh, and are you, you're somewhere new now. You're not yeah. still at this at, at this place. Yeah. So, so how do you how do you transition? So again, just like in the publishing world, where I could see the writing on the wall with everything was moving to digital, I could see that digital advertising wasn't valued like it had previously. It cut. It got a lot of hype, and it was like really the place to be. But then I saw the rise of digital services being very important. You know, how do we? make how do we add that convenience how do we simplify lives using digital technology and you know how do we understand the needs and how do we understand technology and how do we bring them together and that was fascinating me you know that was really and i thought like okay i can't do this account management life anymore like it's just not me i'm a thinker i like to go away into quiet spaces and think i like to research and it wasn't conducive to what i was doing i was a guy who understood the need from the clients, I wrote the brief, I reviewed the work. And of course, there was a lot of thinking and understanding that was required, but it was at such a pace. I wasn't the dedicated thinker. and I wanted to be the dedicated thinker. So uh, halfway through my time at the digital advertising agency, I was like, I want to be a strategist. I want to think about what should be done. you know. And um, then I thought about it and I looked at what they were doing and it was still too broad. It was still, yeah, it just... It lacked a certain something that was missing for me and what I was understanding of the world and where it was going. And then with all our campaigns and building websites and a couple of apps, this whole idea of user experience started to just crop up and become super valuable. You know, and clients were starting to ask about it too. I was like, okay, cool. I, I kind of get it, but I just brief it in and it comes back with wireframes or some presentation and that work seems very insightful and that's very interesting. And a new guy joined the team, quite a senior UX designer, and we had a conversation and I said, I'm really interested in this. He said, you should go for it. Sounds like you, you're really passionate about it and don't waste that inner calling, that passion that we just had an hour conversation about, you know, just go for it. And I really was like, cool, well, I need to go for it because I know I don't want to be an account manager. I know that digital advertising is not, it just didn't feel like it had the longevity that I was after. And, um, user experience was a valuable skill and I was like I want to acquire that and I want to think in that way and I want to be part of that process and um, I went to India and yeah it was just a crazy story of how and why I went to India but basically there was a course um, a usability analyst course um, by human factors quite a renowned course because it's a hard thing to teach you know UX is a different thing to a, a different person but um, it was like a crash course, two weeks, and it was offered all over the world. And the next course was in India. And I had just gone through a breakup and I needed a change. I'd pretty burnt out from two and a half years or kind of just over two years in, that, in the digital advertising space. And I wanted change. And I, yeah, it was like my, you know, the movie Eat, Pray, Love. 
No. Okay, well, I'm not <laughs> going to explain it, but very simply put, woman goes through bad breakup, she goes to Bali to eat, pray, and she finds love. And I went to India, and it was eat, pray, and UX. So Amazing. I went to go eat spicy food, think about my life in a way I was going, and learn a whole lot about UX. And it was just a phenomenal experience, you know. At that time, I also read Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Nice. Which, I mean, I've always been a it opens reader. Opens your mind up oh, to man, things. Oh, man, man, yeah. because I've just had this passion for reading because people have solved things. People have thought about things for a long time. So, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're different lenses uh, through which uh, to look to to understand the world. Totally. And people have put these lenses down in books. Yes. And if you go through these different books, you acquire all these different lenses and then you can start taking on life in a slightly different way. Spot on. Spot on. So, yeah, I was just hungry uh, to, to learn, as I had been since, I'd like to say forever, but um, I really only started learning after university, after college, you know, like knowing a practical example I want to solve and then looking into the literature, looking into what was written about it, how have people solved this before? Because really, will you solve a brand new problem? You know, a lot of problems have been solved already, so don't try and reinvent the wheel. And it's not about applying previously used solutions to a different problem because then you don't fully understand the problem. But there's different ways, there's different pieces you can put together that form a new solution. So, And yeah. approaches approaches to solving a problem exactly exactly so um yeah and then long story short i kind of came back after two weeks in india and i said cool guys i would like a post as a ux designer at the same company at the same company yeah because they had seen my interest they had mm. and i'd spoken to management about moving to that space about being a thinker and they definitely acknowledged that i had a certain skill that i had acquired and they could see the curiosity they could see the passion but you know, money talks and there was just, they didn't have the money to employ another UX designer. And it was really time for me to move on. And I asked around for opportunities and yeah, I went for one interview at a small UX agency, UX UI agency, and got to the second round of the interview and didn't get the job. I was like, damn, like that was my chance. But when the, I spoke to the guy who said, no, sorry, like we've gone with someone else for X and X reasons, which I totally understood. And I knew the person he employed and I probably would have employed her over me if I was in his shoes. So that was fine. That was cool. But I said to him, do you know anyone else? Do you recommend any other agencies that I should contact? And because um, we had got along really well and the interviews went well. And he said, well, there actually is someone else. So I'll forward your CV and I'll just put in a word for you. And yeah, I, I met my current employer. I met the, the founder and managing director. And it was just, just crazy the way it went from like interview to, well, interview with the, the company that I initially went to try and see if I could get a posting there. And and then him suggesting someone else and one thing to the next and getting a job in as a user experience designer. It was just like crazy. That's so cool. Uh, yeah, like. I'm so, I really love that you asked for the, yeah. for the other recommendation. <laughs> That's yeah. so cool. It's about it's about saying, okay, this this opportunity is closing, but how can I get the most out of what's left of it? Yeah. And if you'd already built that good rapport with that person, totally. I, I, there are many people who wouldn't ask what you asked. Yeah. There are I, many, many. And people. I don't know why I asked it. I think a part of me and and desperate is a strong word, but I was really keen to break into that space. And people know people, and people in UX know people in UX. So it just made sense at the time to be like, well, who would you recommend in the space? Who should I reach out to? And the person he suggested was looking for someone. And man, 
yeah it was it was all quite and it is and also it's a good approach because it's sometimes easier to get in with the company if it's coming in through a referral because there's a lot of yes. vetting and stuff that's Correct. already happened. Correct. Uh, Correct. Whereas if you come in completely fresh, yeah. uh, there's less chance. Of, I mean, obviously, obviously it happens all the time that yeah. people do get jobs coming in without any prior experience or totally. a prior relationship. Yeah. Uh, but building relationships before applying mm. or going through a different door uh, like this is the thing, you know the whole. You know, it's not. You've said it a few times now. It's not. Um, yeah, I was actually about to bring it up. Know, yeah. You know? it's yeah. It's about who you know, but I I'm still I'm still about the when you do then get assessed mm. when it's about what is your ability then totally. it is about what you know totally yeah I mean, we need to make sure that people aren't just getting in because they know people yeah um, because that would just be a weird system For sure. I, I think but we can't take away the fact that we're all people. Yeah. We want to know each other. We want to know people. Totally. We want to work with people that we, we get along with. Like-minded, yeah. Like-minded, exactly. And that's just the reality of it. Totally. So totally. meet people, speak to people. Totally, definitely. You know, and again, people, like-minded people usually, you know, their network is people that would also usually be interested, interesting to you, you know, so... Yeah, um, and now you're user experience designer. Yeah, and How's product and product owners. So it's and a, product it's owners. A, it's so you're combining different yeah, skills and there. I'm I'm writing an article on that now about the kind of the blend between product owner and user experience designer because they're so close. You they, you know a user experience designer has to be grounded in business realities, the budget, the timeline, the constraints. Otherwise, they just pie in the sky ideas that you'll come back with. You know, because it is all about the user, but it is equally all about the business because the business will enable that user experience that you're designing. So understand the user, but ground whatever you're going to build in a business reality of like, we need it by then. We need it like this. Like, you know, we have data protection requirements. Understand those upfront and design the ultimate experience, factoring those in from the onset and not halfway in. You know, or when you find out actually you've designed something that is technically very difficult to do. So I understand the technicalities too. And that's what I've loved about being a product owner because I sit at the technical table, at the business table, and then I also sit as the designer and with other designers and solve the problem considering that. So, but yeah, just coming back to my interview at the company that I'm at now, I mean, my boss, super cool guy and remember I was going into user experience without any formal experience. I'd done some training and I had been exposed to it at my last agency, but I was never the UX designer. And here I am having coffee with someone who's potentially going to employ me. And for a second time in my career, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience in that field, you know, going from publishing into digital advertising. That was tough because, you know, I, I didn't know a lot and I was doing the same thing again. And I was quite hesitant. I was like, here I am again, you know, doing this, just putting myself out there. <laughs> it was, it was pretty, it was pretty, I was nervous at the time, but I said to, I was very upfront again, because I just didn't want to mislead anybody. And I said, I don't, I don't have a lot of experience in user experience design, but I feel very passionate that this is what I will be very good at, you know, and Johnny Walker said, it's, best where you know joy will take you further passion takes you further and if you if you have a passion if you have 
you know, if it's really appeals to you in a deeper way rather than just money, rather than just status, whatever, if it's like, I'm so curious about this field, then you usually will do very good work. You'll go the extra mile. On exactly. Things. And you'll put in hours to learn. And he could see that in the interview. You know, he could see the way I was talking, the passion I was, was exhibiting. And um, that was enough for him because we spoke about it afterwards. And um, well, afterwards being like a couple of weeks back when, you know, he just said, Ryan, you've made such great strides. I mean, your first wireframes were ugly. They were terrible. Like, <laughs> like we could both honestly, objectively look at them and say they were bad. But where you are now, like really well done. And I was like, hey, I've heard this before. Like, I've been down this road. And um, just like such a student of life. It's quite a brave approach, man. Like not, not settling for what you know. Because that, that would be the other option, right? Yeah. Is you, you're really passionate yeah. about a certain field, but you've got no experience. So, so yeah. then you just don't go do it. Exactly. That would be the other option. Yeah. But your approach is... I'm not experienced, yeah. but I'm going to be brave and I'm going to actually go ahead and do totally. this thing. Totally. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's unique. It's a unique approach. It's, yeah. it's tough because you also, I think there's a, there's quite a, a tough feeling that we have when we're not good at something, when you're trying something and you're being judged on yeah. something that you're not good at and not totally. competent at, you have to have quite a strong mental state to say, I know I could be better at this. I'm going to be judged on my ability now. Uh, let me push through this. I will get better. I will totally. improve. That's the grit. That's yeah. that's the grit that your previous employer was talking about. Exactly. And yeah, is it Angela Duckworth? Who the TED talk around grit? You know, grit will take you further. It really will. And I fundamentally believe that we are not born with all the skills innately. We don't have all the answers. But it's your ability to push through and want to find out the answers, want to find out the problem, want to understand the solution. It's that curiosity. And if you have that, you'll just, people gravitate towards it, you know. And if you're authentic about it, it just makes for such a, a rich life, such a great way of living. So, yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm grateful that I've had people around me that have encouraged me to just put myself out there. You know, it's like if you live in your comfort zone, you're not going to grow. And if growing is really outside of your comfort zone. And it was a bit scary doing that, like, kind of like three times because you go from college and university, whatever, into your first job. So that's first, like, moving beyond the comfort zone. And then I did that again into digital advertising. And then I did it again, moving into UX, you know. And it was just like, man, I feel like I've lived different lives just, like, going through those phases and just learning along the way it's just been a great it's been a great journey and i'll always encourage everyone to put themselves out there and to be honest with yourselves and other people you know there's nothing wrong with talking about how you feel talking about your weaknesses and i think yeah nowadays emotions have always been they they haven't always been viewed as, as a strength to be the emotional one to be in touch with your feelings and as a designer you know it's a key to being empathetic you know and understanding your own emotions and what that means for you as a human is a, is a good way of reflecting on, well, what are other people feeling and how might, what does that mean for them? What does that, you know, what does that mean for the experience, for the relationship? You know, we're developing relationships between products and humans, you know, so, and it's just, it's so much more than just, you know, like a commercial transaction. It's actually a relationship, just like you and I, just like myself and my family, you know, like, how much learning are you? How much are you trying to understand the person you're dealing with, yourself in relation to them, them in relation to you? And if you are interested in that, I believe you'll design good products. You know, you'll 
you'll get to a deeper level of understanding and a, a more sustainable solution. Um, so now I'm all about my feels. Like, I'm totally not shy. Like, the developers I work with are like, oh, Ryan in his feels again. But when they develop the first thing, the first, uh, the right thing the first time, then they get chuffed that I'm all about my feels and I'm asking people about their feelings. And it's, it's just a conversation with yourself and a product, your, a conversation with yourself and your clients, conversation with yourself and the user. And um, that's really just been fascinating for me and just something that I continue to enjoy doing every day. So I think I'm, I found myself in, in, in my happy place right now. So yeah, really chuffed. Ryan, it's been amazing having you on the show, awesome. man. Thanks so much. I've Jim. really enjoyed yeah. the story. It sounds like your approach has matured over time. You've built and changed over time. For sure. You're getting better and better. Thanks for joining me. Oh, man, thank you so much for, for listening, you know, because I think we all do a lot of talking. It's nice to have someone who's listening. So thanks to everyone else who's also going to be listening to this. Hopefully there's value in it for them. And um, yeah, thanks for doing what you do because I think you're enlightening us all. Absolute pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Once again, please, your favorite quotes, your favorite insights, please share them with us. If you're watching, please share them in the comment section below. And if you're listening or the comment section isn't for you, please tweet me at Jamie and you. Ryan, where can people find you online? So on the gram, on Instagram, Ryan Von S. And on Medium, also Ryan Von S. So find me there. All yeah. links will be in the description, of course. See you next time. Awesome.